Beyond Paris, Irina delivers our 2050 Energy Pathway, Episode 34. Welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. This week, we speak with Ricardo Gorini and Gayatri Prakash from the Remap team at the International Renewable Energy Agency, IRENA. IRENA published this summer the World Energy Transition Outlook 15 degree Celsius pathway. Our conversation today is about the report. Yes, we get a little technical, but we also learn about the reason for the report. This is not your usual climate and death report. Rather, it's an ambitious challenge to world leaders to actually deliver the goods by 2050. As the report makes clear, business as usual, even in a Paris scenario, doesn't deliver the goods. The perspective we gain by having a conversation with members of the team that put the report together makes us, or at least, at least me, appreciate the importance of the findings even more. We learn from Gaia 3 that the reason for the report is not just to demonstrate that renewables are the cheapest and smartest way to save the planet. We know, or at least many of you listening to this episode do. What we find out is that the recent youth pressure for countries to do more to fulfill the Paris Climate Agreement was the reason to push for a 1.5 Celsius scenario. Because as the report states, and it's kind of long, but hang on, quote, current plans fall woefully short of a 1.5 Celsius goal based on existing government energy plans and targets. The policies in place will do no more than stabilize global emissions, end of quote. The basis of the report starts with the knowledge that governments are not doing enough and we need to be much more ambitious ambitious to make it happen. The report I really like because it maps out the measurable progress we need to make each year to realize a profound shift in technologies and practices. Personally, and I have to say professionally speaking, the report delivers a clear path forward. As Gayatri states, every day counts and she is not exaggerating. As I state in each episode of the My Energy 2050 podcast, the purpose is to highlight the people spreading the knowledge about the energy transition. This episode delivers a home run on this account. We get a bit technical at times, so on the surface, some of our discussion is, well, technical. But as you will hear throughout the episode, the justification and understanding of what technological and policy solutions are on the short-term horizon, such as green hydrogen, these can deliver rapid and affordable energy transition. A big thanks go to Irina for approving this interview, and it follows episode 11, where I speak with Luis Janeiro and Sean Collins about their roadmap, or the agency's roadmap, for Central and Southeast Europe. In short, this episode delivers an in-depth discussion on the pace of change, but also the path of technological developments and the tremendous potential we still have to unlock. Because renewables are already cheaper than fossil fuels, so let's start working on the transition and leave fossil fuels for the fossils. And now for this week's episode.
The audience of the My Energy 2050 podcast is very lucky this week. We have two key contributors to the World Energy Transitions Outlook, the 15 degrees Celsius pathway, published by the International Renewable Energy Agency. Today we have on Ricardo Gorini, the Senior Program Officer in the Renewable Energy Roadmaps team, who has, who's been there for almost four years. We also have Gary Three. Prakash. She's an associate program officer also in the Renewable Energy Roadmaps team. She has been there for almost five years with Irina. Uh, Ricardo and Gayathri, welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for, for the introduction. I mean, we're very pleased to, to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And I really want to say thank you for coming on because I think the report is, is really excellent. Before we begin, maybe Ricardo, could you provide a brief description of, of what I re- actually uh, on the pronunciation of IRENA and, and what it does? Yes. So we, we uh, IRENA, IRENA is the International Renewable Energy Agency. So we are, uh, you know, a very global organization. It was established since 2011. Uh, we, we have two offices, you know, actually the headquarters in Abu Dhabi, and we have where we are now, the Bonn office here in Germany, the Innovation and Technology Center. And uh, as I said, we have a, a very broad, uh, uh, I would say, uh, uh, number of countries. It's 164 uh, with another 20 in ascension. So it's really, really global. And that makes us very unique in that sense. This is good to to, you know, uh, to have this uh, a possibility and our membership is, is very active. Uh, we, what we do, we know, what's our work, right? So we, we, we have this uh, role to support the member states in all the topics that are related to renewable energy, energy transition in general. So basically, uh, we work as a platform to, to uh, facilitate discussions, you know, a center of excellence in many areas I can name, for instance, uh, you know, the technology and innovation aspects, the policy and knowledge departments that we have, you know, all, all together working to develop these uh, proposals and solutions to bring energy transition further and, and, and many more. I mean, I invite you all to, uh, to go to our website. We have the reports there all free for download. So it's really something you can just go there, click the button and you'll, you'll be able to reach our, our studies. And yeah, we are, we are very happy to, to discuss uh, here uh, a little bit of one of the, our, our main products, that's the World Energy Transition Outlook, so the WITO, WITO. We'll refer to it as the WITO then. <laughs> uh, I'm just really impressed, okay, I'm impressed by all the reports, but I'll just say the, the WITO uh, report uh, really encapsulates and I think brings in local knowledge and national knowledge and, and, it, and it shows. Can you uh, describe a bit more, too, about the modeling work and the policy work and, and you yourself? Could you describe your background? Maybe I, I, I can start and then maybe guys we can, can complement. So in terms of these skills, right, and, and, and background, first, I think it's important to say that what, what once as we need to, to really uh, change a lot in this pathway, so the transformation is really systemic. It, it's really holistic, if you like. All the skills are needed. Once, once we, we understand that we're talking about changing all levels of society, economy, 
sectors, and we can name a few here. I mean, we need to change transport, we need to change buildings, how we live and how we, 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 we consume energy. We need to change how we produce goods and services, you know, everything related to industry. So this is uh, all inclusive, if you like, you know, we can call that. Uh, so basically, we need all the skills. Myself, I can give an example, I'm an economist. So I've been working uh, for, for many, many years now on, on this topic. Thank you, Ricardo. Gayathri, the same question for you. Sure. Um, yeah, from my side, I, well, I did my um, undergraduate study on electrical and electronics engineering. And uh, I worked for a bit in India, uh, focusing more on the power system design. And at some point, to be honest with you, I was so bored with the topic. Of course, I had this fascination towards the electricity sector, but I wanted to do something else a bit broader. So, I mean, it's also a personal thing that, you know, in back home in India, we do face this frequent power cuts every day, and it's quite annoying in many, many uh, sense. So I wanted to do something to kind of mitigate this issue and to kind of address this problem. And that's when I begin the research to do like, okay, what can I explore further as a focus area? And uh, I got to know quite a lot is beyond electricity sector, what we are talking about here. And that's something that was very, very interesting for me to explore. So that's the reason why I was trying to find sort of solution to address different interlinked problems. So that's the reason why I chose to do a master's study in renewables in Germany. And Germany was leading in terms of the education and knowledge that they could share uh, for, for young students to know about this topic and to kind of explore the career for, further in this field. So yeah, that's how my um, career evolved. And I did my master's in renewables. And uh, it's, it's timely that, you know, towards the end of the course, that's when the Paris Agreement was signed. So that was like even more, uh, you know, further objective for me to work on this uh, topic. And uh, I cannot be so proud that I joined uh, IRENA five years ago. And it's a perfect platform, as Ricardo already explained, how important we are in terms of driving the pace of the transition. So that's that's the overall uh, I, my motivation and background. And here I we work on this topic uh, quite a lot and uh, especially on the scenarios more related to the Paris Climate Goals. We call it this as energy transition scenarios. And we do work on this for the last five to six years. We have launched six annual reports so far. And especially the veto is more special because it's the most challenging scenario one can even imagine. So that's 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 the overall uh, objective. And I'm quite uh, interested. And it's uh, challenging day by day, but it's interesting. You, you mentioned that the WITO, WITO is, is the most challenging one. Could you describe in more detail why why it's so challenging or why it was so challenging for you to produce it? Sure. So as I mentioned, we do we worked on this energy transition topics and um, Irina has already developed a scenario which is a well below two degree scenario three years back. And we kind of think that even that scenario is quite ambitious as compared to current plans and policies. So countries do have ambitions and they are raising their ambitions every year, but it's not really enough in the climate context. So we found, we developed this two degree scenario and now with more pressure from the society and from the youth community to address this big climate crisis, there is a need actually for us uh, to explore further on limiting the temperature rise towards 1.5. And that's the most ambitious goal one can say because every single day counts here if we are to meet that pathway. 
So when we developed this pathway last year, and we already see that there are a lot of sectors that we need to address. There are a lot of, of course, the, in terms of technology and solution, most of the technologies are available. But if you think about the scaling of these technologies, it's really daunting as compared to what is really happening now. And we are, we are not really talking about the technologies. We are talking beyond technologies, the, the way we live and the way we need to adapt to the climate. Everything needs to be changed sustainably. So when we, and of course, there are many aspects that's beyond numbers, right? We need to think about the frameworks. We need to think about the regulations and the behavioral aspects, the structural aspects. So for us, when we were doing this scenario, it was quite challenging in the sense when we were, how could the world transform in the next 30 years? And we see the need to transform immediately. And this 10 years or this decade is crucial. If we are not acting now, we're not doing this scenario or pathway. We're not going to be in this pathway. So that's why every single year for us is quite crucial and the decision we make or the right decision we make right now will lead us to the pathway. And it's really well said. Thank you so much for that. It is every day that that is is so important. And then the 2030 goals, which are kind of out there, but we're, what are slipping, uh, we can see in the assessment for many countries that we're, what, what they have as goals are not going to be met or haven't been met. And could you could you uh, maybe uh, guide through? I'll just st- stick with you for for uh, this this question: Is what kind of future steps will enhance the transition? Though, what what are some practical uh, aspects uh, that are outlined in the report? Sure. Um, so for us, I think uh, we already see some sort of progress in the energy transition that's happening right now, uh, especially in the context of competitiveness. Renewables are already cost competitive, most of the technologies in many markets. Uh, we have seen the tremendous cost reduction for solar PV, for instance, uh, it fell by 85% in the last decade. So we also see that the falling cost have actually uh, motivated or dominate, have led the renewable power technologies to dominate the electricity generation additions. So we see there is a kind of progress that's happening. Last year was a record year for renewables, especially where we added around 260 gigawatts globally, despite the pandemic. So there are there are things happening, uh, but we see that these uh, the progress is not really enough in the climate context. And that's the main objective of the report. And the report already highlights that the progress is happening, but it's not really enough. And it gives us kind of uh, some scaling factors we need to uh, increase the the level of deployment in all the sectors so just to highlight few uh, in terms of technology we see that for instance i said that renewable generation capacity we added last year 260 gigawatts but for in a 1.5 scenario we would need around 840 gigawatts every year for the next 30 years and that's almost fourfold as compared to the additions that was that were made last year and in terms of, uh, for example, the energy efficiency improvements, uh, we also see that there is something that's happening in the line, but it's not really uh, up to the scale. So the energy intensity improvements uh, in the last decade was around 1.2%. And if we are to meet the climate goals, we also need to think about the efficiency improvements in the induced side. So here we almost need a doubling in the energy intensity improvements at a global scale. And if you think about the sectors like transport, for instance, how Ricardo mentioned, is also quite important where we see a gaining momentum for electrification, let's say electric mobility, and the sales are quite increasing in the last years, but we see that the electric vehicle sales should 
kind of amplify from around 4% now to almost 100%. And that means we would need at least, let's say, over 1.8 billion electric vehicles uh, by 2050. So in I think we need a kind of scale up in all the technologies and hydrogen is one of the hot topic as well. So I think we the report clearly highlights this, uh, this scale. And also we say that this is quite a daunting challenge, but we do see it's feasible if we start uh, putting the right policies, if we start put, uh, diverting the investments away from the traditional or conventional fossil fuel technologies towards these energy transition technologies. Exactly what you just said. So the, the challenges are there, but it's feasible. I would just, and I just want, you mentioned it at the very beginning of your answer, but I want to go back and just ask you again. So renewables are not more expensive than fossil fuels. Could you, could you maybe address the, the general price level? Because a lot of people think that renewables are, are quite expensive. No, actually, if you think about the renewable power generation capacity, like solar and wind, they are already cost competitive in most of the markets. Um, we, IRENA launches every year a sort of costing report that updates the costing is based on the number of projects that we receive, uh, let's say, installed every year. And we see there is a tremendous cost reduction that happened in the last decade. And uh, as as we already highlight, I highlighted that solar PV, for instance, we had the, the cost reduction for solar PV, which is around 85%, and we are almost in the range of uh, yeah, six cents or uh, so. I need to check the numbers exactly, but I, I think uh, the solar PV had the highest cost reduction as compared to uh, other other technologies. But we also saw the onshore wind and offshore wind also saw quite a lot of um, cost reductions. But I think um, more in terms of competitiveness, I would not say all the technologies are competitive enough. I would say hydrogen is quite expensive now. It's almost two to three times higher than the, 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 the reproduction of green hydrogen, especially is two to three times higher than the, uh, the traditional blue hydrogen, which is coupled with CCS. And we say that from our analysis that uh, almost that we, we can achieve the, the price parity with increasing innovation and uh, reduction in the cost of electrolysis. And by 2030, we already see that uh, the, the cost of uh, green hydrogen will be competitive enough to make this uh, scale and uh, increasing uh, rise in the, um, in the deployment. So I think, yeah, that's, so I'm not, we will not be convinced if we say renewables are expensive now because they are competitive enough and we are seeing everywhere the auctions especially happening in solar PV in Abu Dhabi or uh, in, the, in, Asia, in Asia, especially. So I think the technologies have proven to be cost competitive and they are already uh, ready mm-hmm. to be uh, uh, deployed at a larger scale. I think the challenges right now we face are quite different in the national context, more related to the planning or more related to the regulation that needs to be cleared. Excellent. And maybe I turn to Ricardo and uh, provide some of that context about, I would say, we, we kind of get ahead of some of the questions here, both the policy and regulatory outlook. What does the report provide in this area? So the report tries to be very comprehensive in terms of bringing insights for, for all the sectors. So the content of the report, as, as Gatti was explaining, we have this technology avenue uh, explanation there where you we cover uh, transport industry buildings how we, we hydrogen plays a role how bioenergy plays a role you know biomass in general how of course all the renewable energy uh, penetration pl- plays a role in terms of uh, electricity 
So the main, the main idea is electricity, energy efficiency, renewables. So this is our, uh, our drivers that will bring the energy transition further and, and emissions down. We have quite a challenge to bring that emissions down. So in terms of the specific policies, uh, for instance, the case of the power sector, uh, we can see there, uh, for instance, some, some insights in, in how we will, we will do this uh, a coupling solutions, uh, you know, consumption, uh, supply together to match the needs. So we need a lot of variable renewable energy, for instance, solar, wind, you know, that's kind of flexible in that sense. And we need to, to, to change the way we, 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 we operate the systems in, in a sense that we count with the digitalization aspects that are there. We count on managing the loads, you know, all the batteries, how we couple those 1.8 billion cars that Gatti was mentioned to bring this source of flexibility to, to, to the grid, you know, and all these innovations that are bringing new concepts of really a dispatch and operation altogether. So we really uh, bring uh, uh, new insights there in terms of policies and, and, and new regulations, uh, market design, if you like, that will be needed uh, to, to change, to deliver that, uh, you know, possibilities. So we have a lot of, of uh, uh, I would say, expectation in terms of this penetration of renewable energy in, in electricity, especially. So we reach levels further than 80%. So it's, it's very important that we, we get that right. Very, very important. But of course, we have all the different types of policies. So yeah, different sectors. But it, it's it's let, let, let me let me make a joke at, at, at Gayatri's expense. So she 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 left India because she wanted to get away from the market uh, system. But what you're actually saying is that uh, the market and how it's operating is actually one of the key areas that needs the investment and need, needs to be much more. Actually, I'll just say creative, even though that's the wrong term to say uh, how a power system is managed. So it needs new ways and much more flexible ways to manage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's that's um, one important, I would say, adjustment, right? In, in uh, Or enabling, uh, I would say, adjustment to get these levels of variable renewable energy. So... We, as, as we move into higher levels of variable uh, renewable energy, we need to get, of course, the infrastructure right and, and the market design and regulations properly set so we can have all the benefits that are related to such kind of structure. So that, that's what I mean, you know. And, and of course, the, the, I would say the, the, the difficulties related to, to the operation, maybe Gayatri can explore that further, uh, they are diminishing over time, you know, because, you know, the, the, the new technologies are there already. So there is a huge opportunity in that sense. Yeah. And, and maybe I'll just stick with you uh, right now, Ricardo. Um, can you describe, the, uh, and actually Gayatri, she, she also mentioned about the reallocation of capital. And is this already happening? How is this playing out? Yeah, well, that, that, that's also a very interesting insight that we have in the report. I mean, basically, uh, we also try to assess all the investment numbers, right, that, that would be needed in terms of uh, uh, the transformation covering all the sectors. So we were talking about 130 trillions, 130, that's, that's correct, not the wrong number. So it seems a lot, right? But basically, we're talking about the whole transformation, so including 
uh, infrastructure, you know, including, of course, new capacity needs and uh, in all the sectors, including building renovation, etc. So that's that's the level of, of challenge uh, that we bring there in the report. But we also have this angle opportunity. Yeah? So the investors, they look at this and they say, wow, that's a nice market to, to have, you know. So for the coming decades, who is going to take that piece, right? And basically, we need to change a lot the energy mix, of course, from fossil to renewables, right? So that's that's where we we understand that um, there are a lot of new possibilities, even for fossil fuel companies, to start looking at this renewable market and to see, oh, I can do this, I can do that, you know? So there are a lot of synergies that they can just move into they are energy companies. They are not labeled necessarily as fossil. They can, you know, they have a lot of skills that are needed, as as we talked before, right? To to develop that energy transition as well. So of course they have a, a lot to to start with their own production and trying to to change, you know, their their own emissions. But of course uh, uh, they should also, and they are doing, to be honest, that they are starting to do that, looking at the different opportunities and start to to know in them and to start to, to really bring money there. And of course, uh, if you look at the, at, the, at the renewable energy attractiveness in terms of, uh, uh, you know, investment, this is already there. Gayatri mentioned that we had the record year, right? Uh, 260 giga and the resilience is, is increasing and, and it's amazing because last year we had, of course, and we still are in this pandemic situation, but, you know, we had the record. So what I mean here is, if you look at this systemic and comprehensive understanding of the benefits of renewable, this attracts investment. You know, it's not just uh, you know the the the, uh, the the comparison of different high profit possibilities, but you you must understand that we are looking at this uh, medium and long term strategy position as as a company and and of course. As, as countries and, and the whole world. So we, we can discuss a lot about this, how renewables are really competitive and how uh, good they are now. Because basically, uh, if you look at a couple of decades ago, I mean, we, 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 did not, we didn't have the technologies available for all the energy service. Now, if you look, we have renewables for all the markets. You want renewable? Go there. There is a technology that you can use, right? So basically, we are there in that, that point. We have all the, 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 you know, the skills in terms of, you know, a lot of people with, people with a lot of skills that could, could and are willing to work in this market, you know. So you have the supply chain well established. So, you know, you have the countries with all these pledges and policy support. So what we see is this system transformation that's bringing, you know, the whole momentum into the, into the play. And the financial market, of course, is aware of that. They're all looking at this situation and the banks, you know, multilateral banks are discussing that, that kind of thing, you know, ESG, all this, this stuff. And also, uh, you know, the, 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 what we call these, um, uh, you know, uh, setting kind of rules to, to, to sustainable investments, you know, as, as, as this is a very important uh, aspect that we must get it right because, of course, that will allow uh, a lot of you know projects to to have special i would say conditions uh, as well so what we see is is a confirmation of changes that are really bringing some convergence and the financial market of course are looking at that and if you look at some indicators there 
uh, especially the the uh, the profit uh, or, or the share, you know, and and we have that in the report, the, the, the shares uh, price uh, over time comparing to let's say the overall uh, market, we see that those sustainable sectors, if you like, they have a higher performance. So we are all aware what what must be done, and investors, of course, are part of all of this, and they they, they see that as an opportunity, and and we, we look at this much more in the in the near future. So I mean, we are very confident of this uh, tipping point, if you like. Are there are there some regions that the report identifies as doing better than other regions in how companies we could say fossil fuel companies are readjusting? Uh, actually, we, we, we have also another paper that is also available in the web. That's this oil uh, company's strategy uh, on this energy transition. And what we understand there is that the European companies are, are moving faster than the American companies, for instance. You know, this strategy uh, is, is, is really uh, better in that sense of looking at the possibilities in terms of uh, new niches and new markets uh, related to renewables and, and transition. Uh, so to give you an idea, I mean, an uh, oil company can, can look at the geothermal market as very similar to what they do on this drilling thing, you know. So, of course, offshore wind, you know, if you have your platform there, you can also, you know, uh, uh, you have a lot of synergies there in terms of the... the the skills that are needed, uh, you know, bioenergy, they're already there playing this role in bioenergy. We see a lot of uh, strategy into this electrification world. So even buying grids, so they, they own grids or even, you know, uh, in, in, the, in the distribution side, I mean, selling directly to consumers. But of course, there are also a generation side, as I said. So I think the, the, this is this is a, a good indication of, of, of how those companies are really uh, looking at this this market as opportunity. They need to move faster. They need to, to really jump into this new game. But of course, they they are all aware of that. And and the shareholders, of course, they have a role to play there. You know, shareholders they look at the, the share. They say, okay, I mean, short term, I may get more profit here, perhaps, but in medium term, is that a, really? or I'm facing two risky positions. So shall I restructure my portfolio here? You know, this is what people started to realize and to think. And, and you know, if you are late to the game, you will be facing a lot of volatility in your price. So we need to be all aware of that. The, the shareholder one is, is a good point. And I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't read the report, but does it make a comparison between, because European uh, oil companies have more, I'm, I'm totally talking off the top of my head, uh, may have more state ownership. Oil, European oil companies have more, st oil and gas companies may have more state ownership compared to American oil and gas companies. And so they've been prompted to kind of shift their focus as well. You mean the reasons, right? Well, um, I, well, we, we may, may consider maybe a combination of reasons. Definitely, you know, Europe is, is taking the lead on the energy transition, you know. So of course the the the, the countries they uh, and and they are pushing harder. Uh, I think U.S. recently also uh, you know brought into this discussion a, a nice a nice proposition to to 2050, right? So I mean 
US is back to the game in that sense. But I understand that, that the, the, the European countries are really uh, bringing pledges there, you know, policies. So what you see uh, happening in Europe, Europe is, is quite interesting in that sense. Uh, now, I mean, there are some regions that's difficult to, to drive a diesel car, you know. So this is this is really uh, affecting our, our our daily lives in that sense. So we need to adjust, and maybe the oil companies are, are looking at their own market. You know what I mean? And and they see okay, so we need to change faster. You know, so maybe this is one reason. Yeah. Right. Sorry, sorry. I just got. <laughs> yeah, of course, because you, the Europe is com- and now the United States, but definitely Europe is committed to phasing out diesel, for example, uh, and also internal combustion engines, both the governments and the car companies themselves. Thus, it's going to prompt the yeah, oil companies. They, they've got to change their focus as well. Definitely. Yes. Yes. So uh-huh, it kind of kind of builds on. And uh, I think both both you and, and uh, Gayathra, Gayathra were, were saying was that the, the momentum is there, right? The momentum that has been built up in the renewable energy technologies like solar and wind, the cost has come down, and now it's just playing out. And actually, I wanted to kind of shift back to Gayathra about uh, what Ricardo mentioned about uh, renewable energy. And, and this was actually if I can kind of reframe it a bit, so we talked about companies and global oil and gas companies, but I would really like to focus on the people on the ground and their access to uh, non-grid uh, renewable energy. How How is that playing out and what are the projections for the future? Yeah, I think as I mentioned before, there are different drivers for this energy transition. It's not just about the climate change, it's also the opportunities that it brings, right? So here, energy access or Universal energy access is one of the key element, especially in the context of 2030. And we do have a strict uh, sustainable development goals of achieving this. So here, uh, again, off-grid renewable solutions have uh, emerged as a, as a mainstream solution to kind of extend access to modern energy services. So we have seen in the last uh, decade or few years, the deployment of uh, standalone or mini grid systems have uh, witnessed uh, tremendous progress, mainly due to the technological development and the reduction in cost, and also the innovation in different uh, uh, deployments and also the financial models that have been picked up. So here we also see a kind of involvement from diverse set of stakeholders. It could be um, local entrepreneurs, or it could be the international private sector or the financial institutions that they are all engaging uh, quite in, in providing this important element, the access to clean electricity and the clean cooking. Uh, so I think is despite all these things, of course, the share of people with access have grown uh, in the last decade, but we still have around, uh, uh, from the last statistic, I could remember 750 million people or so without access to electricity and around um, 2.6 billion people without access to clean cooking. So on the financial side, obviously the investments have grown. So we see that the commitments to off-grid renewables um, in all the emerging and developing countries have increased uh, to, to uh, almost like tenfold compared to the last decade. But we still see that these uh, investments are sort of not enough or more concentrated in few regions. And it's not really happening in the region where we see a, a huge gap in the access. Example, Africa. So here we can see that Africa will be the forefront. Uh, we need the forefront efforts to reach the objective. 
and we see that off-grid solutions are quite important and here renewables play a key role in providing uh, the services like lighting or the, the clean cooking because the cooking is also related to some of the harmful effects of health and here renewables are the technologies are already available in sort of um, uh, mitigating the the local uh, indoor pollution effect and also increasing the availability of the source so i think here yeah as i said of of grid renewables they we do see a lot of solutions there maybe in terms of isolated grids or in terms of solar lights or solar home systems um, the only thing we need to do here is to accelerate the pace again and to we need a kind of dedicated policies and regulations to make this really happen in this decade and i just would like to highlight irena is doing quite a lot in this platform uh, we have different uh, sort of collaboration capacity building activities and knowledge products to bring out the best experiences and best practices to kind of and also to come up with some enabling policy measures and finance financing schemes to to deploy the large scale uh, standalone system or more mini grid systems with renewables could could you describe some of those the financial schemes that are available or could be i think it's quite a lot it depends on the region but here we see in terms of isolated net the pricing mechanisms is one of the thing straightforward net billing mechanisms and we see quite a lot of uh, projects that's already happening in asia for instance uh, in nepal and india where we have seen a lot of net billing mechanisms that's that's happening with respect to the off grid solutions and this is something is quite attractive and there are a lot of startups that they are kind of, kind of involving in this uh, distributed uh, generation sources and a lot of uh, incentives are given both from the government side and also from the private sector so i think is is already happening enough mostly in asia but is also replicating in africa with a lot of uh, uh, new uh, new startups focusing on these kind of uh, off grid solutions with net building and incentives that the consumers can get but also i think in terms of policies we do really need a kind of strict policies for specific for the regions and uh, to kind of uh, highlight what kind of policy support can actually enable these sort of uh, penetration of distributed generation so i think that's an element which is crucial and to be discussed and to be accelerated in the next years yes yes and i just say that actually you have a really good risk assessment uh in here i'm just let's see here this is uh page 109 and and it really does look at the different risks and so i think this is really important when thinking about cuz what's described in the report is very good it has all the technical details and and the modeling work and the numbers of how how this can be achieved compared to the business as usual approach but what i also like and what we were getting into is the the risks or why why things are not happening and i just wanted to highlight um when it comes to grid and transmission risks or the counterparty risk the power of taker risks who's participating and why they may not want to participate or the, it gets into the area of regulatory certainty and the policy designs that are necessary to prompt the investors into a region we could say maybe off grid but also into centralized grid and bring in these newer technologies or ensuring that the investments for example in hydrogen are are realized over the longer term so uh, i just want to say it, the the when what we haven't spoken about but what's underlining the discussion is the the risks risks that are there and i think the framework that you develop nicely illustrate 
the the risks that may be holding back others from participating more or investing more. So that's that's a that, that's quite quite good. I just want to say that the risk analysis is is very good. I, I wanted to maybe shift it a little bit and really um, look at the 2050 year. And actually, we, we've talked about a little bit about the different scenarios. The, the plans, planned energy scenario is kind of the business as usual, as I just mentioned. But also there's the 1.5 degree Celsius scenario as well. My, my question to you is, can you describe, uh, for Ricardo, can you describe how the national pledges for net zero are assessed into the planned uh, scenario or the 1.5 degrees scenario. Yeah, yeah. So definitely, uh, we we have uh, in this first assessment of this planet and its scenario included those um, plans. So as as you said, it's a kind of business as usual, right? So it's basically we 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 understand what are the plans for the next uh, decades and also some of those pledges. So this planet energy scenario does consider that. So that's there, but it's not enough, right? So basically this scenario, we still reach the same level of emissions as today. And and what does it mean around 36, 37 gigatons per year of emissions? And that is not sustainable in that sense uh, we're not aligned, you know, uh, with this 1.5C Paris Agreement. Just to give you an idea, we need 500, uh, we still have uh, remaining carbon budget, 500 gigatons. So this is the challenge. So we need to uh, to reduce to net zero as soon as possible without really changing that uh, or, or overshooting, you know, so uh, having a lot of emissions further down, further uh, as, 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 as I said. So basically, uh, what we do in this 1.5 is really to try to keep that uh, normative approach, bringing emissions faster down as needed, according to this 5 gigatons carbon budget complying with Paris Agreement. So, uh, and you saw the numbers, right? It's quite challenging, all the sectors we need to, uh, to really move faster. This decade, Gaiti pointed that very well, this decade is a decade of action, right? So we need this decade, uh, and and we will be, of course, very. Uh, we will know if this is doable. Uh, this decade It's not that we will see in the near future. Or uh, I mean, the, the the next years are very important. So this COP twenty six, I think we we must say that here. We need really to uh, to to bring into the agenda, you know, all and everything. Uh, all the kind of efforts that are needed to give a, a nice message to the to, to the stakeholders, to the public in general, that we really need to move faster, you know. So, of course, there is this discussion related to to, to money, right, budget, finance flows, etc. But we need to get that right in order to, to bring all these, you know, urgent actions in all the sectors as soon as possible to remove uh, these uh, emissions uh, that we have. So I think that's that's a very important statement that we bring in in the report. Um, I would like to uh, to also mention here that uh, you know the there is also an effort that we are starting to develop regional energy transition outlooks. So you, you saw the WITO, the global one, and we are doing this kind of same thing as a regional analysis, right? This is also something 
our director general is is uh, is really looking for. So the idea is to to bring the context and the specific recommendations, as you saw in the global, to the regions. So that's that's our ongoing work now, uh, and hope this will come soon. I mean, of course, there are a lot of regions will start, you know, uh, a set of, of publications uh, soon. So. Yes. Great. I can't wait because I, I really like breaking yeah, the world. Down. I, I think this report is great because it's global in scope, but also the and the national, we can always access the national and there's usually reports available on, on national levels. But it's these regional levels that I find okay, I'm a geographer. Okay. So I that I find really useful because the there's yeah, the regions and usually there's similarities. And so that we can start to understand, I mean, just living in Europe, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, all have their own different challenges by region, I would say, more than even by, you know, the EU as a whole. So I, I think, and actually you have the, can I call it the Balkans, the southeast of Europe? Yes, we did. That's the kind of, of, of granulite that we are, we're working for now, exactly. Yes, yes. And I, and I actually had your uh, colleagues on to discuss that yes. report because it was so good as well. Yeah. So I'm definitely looking forward to uh, further reports. I just have, uh, I think, two more questions uh, before wrapping up. And, and one, um, I, I don't want to uh, ha not ask this question, but you explained the interconnection between energy intensity and emissions. And I, and I really like this. This is goes to some of the research I'm, I'm doing right now too and in this area can you identify well can actually Ricardo could you just explain what how, why is it important to understand and to break down energy intensity and emissions and then what are the solutions to that to to break that to decouple it uh, let me let me try to, to start with this uh, concept right so energy intensity and then uh, how we link that with emissions I mean so energy intensity, just uh, for 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 our our understanding, we are talking about you know consumption of energy over time versus uh, GDP, right? So basically, the added value. So all these uh, you know, uh, I would say benefits that you bring as as economy, you call that GDP, and then we have all the consumption. So one over the other, you have this energy intensity, right? So basically, the idea here is. Uh, how good you are in using energy to produce added value and benefits for for all of us. I mean, that's the the, 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 the concept. So, of course, as we grow in terms of population, we would consume more energy. As we increase our GDP, uh, everything satisfies parties, as we say in economy, we will, we will see, you know, energy increasing as well. So this in principle, this in principle. However, no? Uh, we need to decouple a bit the understanding of energy services and energy fuels and energy consumption, if you like, right? So what we consume at the end of the day is the service. It's not energy. We do not eat energy, right? We do as foods, but not energy like fuel. You know what I mean? So, of course, services are the key. We need services, lighting, heating, cooling. No? That's it. Uh, displacement of goods, services, uh, uh, people, etc. So, um, the good news or bad, we are inefficient. So basically, as a society in general, we are using energy very badly, you know? So we should increase, we should improve ourselves a lot. And of course, another good news is we have a lot of new technologies that are more efficient that we, we could install and, 
substitute old stuff. So basically, uh, this is what we, we would like to see coming, right? So a substitution of, uh, you know, bad behaviors and substitution of old technologies for new technologies that will bring the fuel consumption down, keeping or even increasing the energy service. And I can give you an example. If you look at EVs, electric vehicles, they are much, much more efficient than internal combustion engines. If you look at, a, 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 you know, like a diesel car or a gasoline car, and an EV, EV would consume less fuel in general equivalent than an, 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 an internal combustion engine if you look at the same kilometers that you, you do, you know. So I think that gives us the idea of this energy-intensive concept. So what you mean is, of course, uh, what we say in the report, we should try our best to keep the same level of consumption of energy today. And how we'll do that? We'll do that enhancing the energy intensive indicator. So basically, we need to uh, keep this energy efficiency investment so we will reduce this indicator, meaning that we will be more effective and more efficient, you know, in the use of energy. So what is this in terms of emission? Well, if we do that, if we reduce the consumption, and if we keep using fossil fuels, we will reduce the emissions because, you know, the fossil fuel that we will be needing, uh, and of course, we are not using that anymore, we will, you know, reduce the emissions, the equivalent emissions from this amount. So this is the first, uh, I would say, drive of emission reduction. 25%, that's what we explained in the report, 25%, that is efficiency, energy efficiency related. So... It's not enough. I mean, what, what, what we need is to change the energy mix, right? It's not just energy efficiency, not just energy intensity down, but we need really to change the energy mix as well. And this is the whole part of the whole story. That is the electrification aspect, you know, the direct renewable use. So, you know, instead of heating my, my home with natural gas, I would use district heating or, or biomass, you know, pellets, stuff like that. So this is the direct use of, of, of uh, renewables in, in the energy service, or also uh, we could also talk about, of course, the electrification aspects, all, all of this. But basically, renewable energy penetration, uh, including uh, indirect electrification via hydrogen, as Gatry explained, you know. So this is the, the main bulk of combination efficiency and renewable energy, direct, indirect, to bring emissions down. That's very important. That's very important. Hope uh, I, I've managed to explain that, you know, this link. That's very important. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so by the energy intensity, you can reduce by energy efficiency steps, but also by choosing technologies that are actually more efficient to produce heat or power rather than, I mean, even coal-fired power plants, right? They're maybe 50% efficient they have a 50% efficiency rating. I mean, they're quite, quite bad, actually. Too. Yeah, that, that's an also another, another interesting... Uh, so when you look at the supply of electricity or all these transformation centers that are needed to, you know, to, 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 to change one way of fuel to another, that's what we, at the end, use in our, in our stuff. Basically, you use a lot of energy, so you consume a lot of energy. And, and you are right, I mean... Uh, if, if you look at 
a, a wind uh, or a hydropower versus a fossil fuel generation, even natural gas, the level of efficiency of the primary energy that you need to, trans to and transform into useful energy, if you like, it's much more, much more efficient. So it's basically you use less the nature, you know, so you are more efficient using the nature to have the same services. So that's, that's uh, uh, I think, very important also to bring here. Yeah, good, good point. Thank you, Ricardo. That brings us to my, my last question. And, and it's, uh, it's kind of opportune because your scenario looks at 2050. But my question I always have for guests, the last question is, what is what does the energy system look like to you in 2050? So, so maybe I'll ask uh, Gayatra uh, first, what does the energy system in 2050 look like for you? In 2050, I think it's going to be more smarter, more interconnected, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, more digitalized. It's, it's, it comes under smarter, but also I think it would be more efficient, as Ricardo explained. So I think we need to head towards the energy system of the future, basically, with which is clean, sustainable, which is also efficient and reliable. And yeah, so I think I, I am a bit optimistic but only yeah of course uh, I'm, I'm not sure if we are going to achieve 1.5 or 2 degrees but I see some sort of progress at least we will transform from the energy system we are today and towards 2050 great thank you and Ricardo I am I'm very optimistic on this transformation ongoing what, what, what I, I think I would like to, to bring this angle of people's reaction so I will see that uh, our homes, the way we live, will will change a lot. You know, the way we 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 move things and and we displace ourselves. So basically, we, we will see uh, a very a very deep behavior transformation in that sense. And and the role of technology and innovation is key. It will be very important. You know, uh, because of course uh, this is all about uh, efficient, as as we discussed. But it's all about you know. The, the the possibility to to keep the energy services playing uh, 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 working, and that's how we will see the innovation playing a, a, an important role in, in you know buildings, transport as well industry. So we, we have a lot of challenges, as you know, in the heart of the carbonite sector. You know, so still there, uh, cement, steel. You know, uh, how will decarbonize those sectors? And this is going to also play an important role in terms of innovation and technologies. So we'll see a different society. You know, that's that's good news. I'll go further than both of you. And I'll just say, I think in 2050, the world will look exactly as you outline in your report. That's great. So, <laughs> that's going to be the exact. We'll, we'll come back in in a few years time, right? And and do a check-in in 30 years. See, see if we were right. Okay, Gayatra and Ricardo, I want to thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very nice discussion. Thanks thank to you. you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We produce the My Energy 2050 podcast to learn about cutting-edge research and the people building our clean energy system. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please share it. The more we spread our message of the ease of an energy transition, the faster we can make it. You can follow us on LinkedIn, where we are the most active on the My Energy 2050 webpage, or on Twitter and Facebook. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.